0: Welcome to Waveframe.
1: Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Wayframe Podcast. My name
0: is Isaac. And my name is Luke. This is the podcast where we talk about uh, movies and music and sometimes some books, uh, especially if they influence the movies or music, mostly movies. Uh, before you go any further, uh, please check us out on Instagram where we are at WayframePod. Um, and we, we post updates about the podcast. Isaac does some great artwork for us. I occasionally post some music. Um, and we also love some reviews through Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening to your podcasts. Uh, reviews are great. Star ratings are great. We love those beefy five stars. But whatever you're feeling up for, we love any review.
1: Yeah, we can't get enough of it. Today we are talking about Dune. And to join us, we have a friend of the podcast, Vienno. Tell us a little bit about yourself.
2: Hi, everybody. Uh, yeah. Oh, man. I I love Dune. I read this book for the first time when I was about 15. I would say that's probably about the perfect age to read Dune. It's definitely the point when the book will hold the most novelty for you. Uh, and I was trepidatiously anticipating this movie (laughs) because i think we all were (laughs) yeah there's there's definitely there was a previous movie made of this book in 1984 and it didn't go super well it's (laughs) i'll just be honest this is not a book that moves to the screen easily Mm. it's a book that has a lot of internal monologue forming its plot it's a book that has a lot of world complexity uh you spend the first like 50 pages learning about choam compacts and the like 32 great houses and the (laughs) padashi emperor and none of it makes any sense and then you meet your main character paul (laughs) so this this book definitely has sort of a sort of a mount doom uh syndrome going on a little bit but it's uh it's it's a book that has uh influenced a lot of how we think about sci-fi today. And uh, especially when I found out that it was being directed by the same fella who made Arrival, my expectations for this movie skyrocketed and I was not disappointed.
1: (laughs) And it's cool that you mentioned Denis Villeneuve, the director, because he read Dune when he was 14. So you you said that's the best time to read
2: it? It's a very early high school book. It's definitely... um, I feel like when you're around early high school, people kind of just start shoving coming-of-age stories down your throat just as fast as they can. Uh-huh. And uh, and <laughs> Dune is definitely, is, is I would say, a coming-of-age story, but it feels very different from like a typical buildings sermon, like Catcher in the Rye or something like that. And I appreciated that... How to put this? I think it's still a good book to read later, but I think Dune does a great job of... Um, getting people to think about authority and institutions in ways that most other books do not choose to confront. Uh, and I think just to, uh, I suppose, set some expectations for this podcast, I think I think the movie struggles to hit the same mark. Interesting. And mostly by virtue of its medium, um, but it's definitely a book that has a complicated relationship with the typical... Um, Achievement through uh, accepted institutional paths that you tend to see in most coming of age stories of like some wise mentor that the yeah. main character eventually earns the trust of. In Paul's story, within the first act of the book, all of his mentors are dead, um, <laughs> and uh, it's it's definitely. Um, it takes sort of a different approach to things.
1: Yeah. So if people haven't noticed, we're going straight into spoiler territory. Oh so <laughs> you're good. All right. <laughs> so well, I mean, just by mentioning that. Yes, I, the, I will yeah. try
2: very hard not to spoil the second Dune movie, which that's will great. which will cover the second half of the book. Yeah. But as far as I'm concerned, anything that happens in the movie and happens in the book, free reign. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think I think I think that's a good way for us to actually talk
1: about what we want to talk about instead of dancing around what we want to talk about. So, I'm going to throw it over to you, Luke. What's your relationship with Dune, the story, the book,
0: the movie? Yeah, so my first exposure was uh, the board game from a, <laughs> yeah. a friend and housemate who who uh, ha- is a big uh, fan of games. And he introduced me and a lot of others to this board game of Dune. And I think it it was a lot of fun to have all these... Because Dune is, is a dense book. It throws you kind of in the deep end pretty quick with terms and phrases and nouns that you don't have any context. Context clues for figuring out what these unknown words are. Um so coming into the game or from the game, I knew like, oh, a snooper is a defense mechanism against poison. I know this from the game mechanics. So then when they talk about snoopers in the book, I'm like, oh, I know what that is. As opposed to otherwise, you might be like, what the heck is a snooper? Like, is that a person or is that something else? So after that read the book knowing that the movie was coming out. So I read it in anticipation of the movie. Very excited based on the cast list. This is an all-star cast of characters that were brought yeah. in. We've talked about Denis, the director already, has a has a pretty good track record. People like his films typically. Um, so I I definitely read it uh, re- ready to set the stage for the movie was my main anticipation.
1: Yeah, and so we're mostly going to be talking about the movie, because this is a podcast about movies and t- or sorry, and TV shows and music, but I think it's cool and really good for us to talk about the book and its history, because that, that helps us understand the story of Dune in general. I have not read the book, so you guys have both read the book, and um, I did not read the book, mostly because I was, like, busy, but I also was like, (laughs) it'd be cool to go in fresh and and without knowing exactly what's going to happen. Because I feel like a lot of people who were excited for this movie was was because they read the book. And I was excited about this movie because I knew people who read the book, but also I love the director so much. Because he's done, like you guys mentioned, Arrival, um, Blade Runner 2049, Sicario... Uh, didn't he do that Jake Gyllenhaal Spider movie? Oh yeah,
0: yeah. Uh, enemy.
1: Enemy. Yeah. Okay. See, so he, he did Enemy. He has just like pretty much not made a bad movie, and I think that's amazing, especially hard to do in Hollywood. And when you're a, a director who is not American, you get less opportunity right away. And so the fact that he can really prove his mettle is amazing. And I just think that I just adore him. Even in interviews, he's just so personable and passionate. And he's also like you, Vienna, a huge, huge fan of the book. Mm-hmm. And I think that is an interesting aspect for me to see somebody who's read the book, um, like Denis, how is he going to translate that into a movie And I want to hear your guys' thoughts about that because I have not read the book. Like, how did he translate it into the movie?
2: Did he do a good job in your eyes? You hinted at it. Yeah, I would say that, um, and I have not, I will admit, watched any interviews with Villeneuve, but I imagine that his relationship with the book is probably somewhat similar to mine based on some of the things he chooses to skip, Mm. um, and I think in general, a lot of the aesthetic and story choices that are made in this movie, uh, for, for people who, like you, Isaac, who, who have not read this book and then just go and see this movie, I'm very curious to hear your thoughts. I kind of struggle to imagine a version of me that hasn't read Doom. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, uh, but at the same time... Um, I think there's a you may be surprised to learn that in this three-hour movie about 80 percent of the content of the first portion of this book gets cut it's a it's a slow burning start to the book yes and and i think what oh my goodness wow and i will say i think that's probably a good choice because villanue chooses and this is always a danger when you are translating a dense and and uh and um well plotted book into a visual medium that has so much less time. Um, It's very easy to accidentally make a montage of Mm. just like all the things that happen, cutting between them very quickly. I felt like Villeneuve did a great job of trying to condense topics of the book into specific scenes. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of stuff that is just pulled straight from the book, uh, but there's a lot of things that feel like several scenes in the book that get turned into one scene. Um, I also think, uh, how to put this, some of the lore around the Benny Gesserit definitely gets spent a, a lot less time spent on it. And I think uh, in also some of the um, the storytelling around the Harkonnens gets cut mm-hmm. for, for reasons of, I think it's a weak point in the book. Uh, and we might get more into that later about how, why Frank Herbert chose to tell the story in a certain way and, and why that limited some of the things that he was able to do with this book um but also i think it adapts the story for a modern audience Mm. better um this book came out in 1965 (laughs) Uh, that is over (laughs) half a century ago and into a climate that was very very different from ours uh we talked a little bit before luke and i um of just uh of course, Star Wars A New Hope doesn't come out until 1977. Yeah. So this movie, I think, is doing a lot of work to not look like Star Wars, but the truth of the matter is, Star Wars looks like Dune. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Really really quite directly. Uh, the story of a, a punk kid from a desert planet who overthrows a galactic empire with the help of an ancient monastic yeah. tradition. <laughs> it's really pretty one-to-one. Um, and, uh, of course, Star Wars has since grown into something that is very, very different mm-hmm. from Dune, yeah. but that, that that initial first movie, which at the time it was being made was thought to be all the Star Wars there was ever going to yeah. be, yep. is is a very similar story to Dune. And I would almost argue it was Lucas's attempt to make a movie that was like Dune. But it's very hard to make a movie of Dune as it is in this book because it's such a uh, thought-focused book. And I think, I think Villeneuve did a great job of making the story a little bit less... Um, literary and a little bit less uh politically complicated in favor of making it much more emotional Mm -hmm. uh the um the characters in dune do not often emote uh terribly strongly uh it's it's almost seen as somewhat improper and books do not always do the best job of conveying emotions especially empathetically we tend to absorb that from seeing other humans faces i was very surprised at just how lethal Timothy Chalamet's performance in this movie is, <laughs> I I came in with a lot of expectations for some of the actors. Uh, some of them I knew would just be pretty perfect for their roles. Javier Bardem, of course, as Stilgar, after seeing yeah. <laughs> after, see, after seeing No Country for Old Men, I knew he would do a great job yes. with that role. Perfect. Yes. Perfect. Jason Momoa is, as a person, <laughs> about as close to Duncan Idaho as you can get. Uh, the description of Duncan Idaho in the book is a uh, somewhat dark-complexioned man with long black hair and green eyes who is uh, constantly smiling and very, very charming. Wow. I mean... Yeah. <laughs> <it's>, <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) They didn't have to look hard. (laughs) And so, but uh, I did not know much about Timothy Chalamet as an actor Mm. before seeing this movie. His performance as Paul really sells to me a lot of the things that this movie doesn't have time to explain with words.
0: Mm. It's interesting. Uh, one of the interviews with Denis they they were on with Colbert um, as a part of a Stephen Colbert interview that he was doing with them, because Colbert is a huge fan of Dune uh, and and the Lord. I'm and, not even a little yeah, bit not surprised. Even surprised. No, no. And what Denis was saying is that he cast Timothy because what he I think he said something along like there's something in his eyes, there's a sadness in his eyes is I think the way that Denis put it. I'd say and it's malnutrition, it's like, but I don't yeah. know it works. there's this juxtaposition. <laughs> of like the, the innocent young character, but also this like world weariness, and I think that that fits Paul really well as a character. And he's twenty five in real life,
1: Timothy Chalamet, but he looks really young. And how old is he in the book? I believe the Paul Atreides that we meet in doing the book is sixteen. Yeah. Okay. Just, yeah. So he's got that youthful face. I did not expect you to say that Timothy Chalamet was a good representation of Paul or at least a, a really good part of the movie. I
2: think he's an excellent portrayal of this version of Paul Atreides. Okay. I think the the Paul Atreides that we that we are with in the book is, in some meaningful ways, a pretty different character. Um, and I think, I think Timothy Chalamet really sells, vi- uh, Villeneuve's version of Paul Atreides and just it, it brings it to the screen really well. How uh, would you the-
1: say book? book uh, Paul is different than movie Paul.
2: He's much more calculating. Okay. Uh, you you don't see as much um, there's a certain level of um, gravitas to both characters where both of them are very aware that they are in a story that has already been written which m- means that they're aware that they're in a tragedy. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the Paul Atreides that we meet in Dune is very much a um w- I would say a willing participant in that. Uh, he certainly laments it a few times, but overall he's very much a person who is looking to hold on to as much power as he can and is and is much more willing to take advantage of the... Because um, frankly, Paul Atreides as a character is he is a protagonist he is not a hero and uh the second book in the dune series makes this much more clear that he is the product of centuries of conspiracy by the Bene Gesserit to produce a person who is capable of taking advantage of these people as best as possible the movie doesn't spend as much time on this but the idea of the lasan al-gaib fully the Bene Gesserit make it up they send Mm -hmm. missionaries out into the world to spread Myths that are to their favor, wow. and the Lisanna is one they, of these.
1: They, the Benny jesuit work in not years but like thousands of years, right? Yes,
2: they they the tend to on very long timescales. Yeah,
1: and and the the thing that you you were wondering how my impression of the movie was having not read the book. The thing that really spoke to me was even if it wasn't plain in the dialogue or in the exposition. It was plain in the set design and the way characters held themselves and the the way they interacted with each other like when um anybody approaches the duke leto or leto um oscar isaac whenever anybody approaches another great casting choice yes seriously um, they all jump to uh, defend him and like put their sword up against the approaching person's neck, and you can just feel the weight in history in so many of the choices that the cast and crew made, and so for me, I felt like the history, for example, the Benny Gesserit or that person
2: who made his him put his hand in his box, the box. That's yes, she's the, she's the reverend mother okay. of the Bene Gesserit. Like, she is truth-sayer to the emperor, basically like the Benny Gesserit pope. Yeah, yeah say, well, she's the pope. well
1: <laughs> she was menacing, and you can feel that weight behind what she says, in the theater especially. Yeah. <laughs> that's
2: not a grandma who's going to make you any cookies. Yeah. I no, no, no,
1: exactly. So even if I don't get all the lore because I haven't read the book, I feel like I feel it. It's like shaking in my bones somewhere.
2: That was definitely something I felt like Villeneuve just nailed with. Uh, and I did want to like almost just quick shout out to um, the costume designers for oh this Oh, so seriously. Uh, Jacqueline West and Bob Morgan. They've worked on a few different films, but I wrote their names down before this podcast because I Thank felt like for doing an enormous portion of the work of like explaining to the audience What this world is like Comes from that costume design Mm, Uh, There's a lot of things that just aren't mentioned in the book Frankly the book is not a terribly visual novel Mm, Okay, But Mm -hmm. the movie just That's hard for a lot of people including me I'll say (laughs) (laughs) Yes because it's very difficult to understand The scale of everything they're Mm. talking about Like you get the sense that the ships are big But what does big mean? (laughs) And then in in the movie you see these Like enormous like planet Sized (laughs) It's insane Yeah
1: absolutely And the movie doesn't always explain everything in a way you're talking about like the book like when i was watching the movie they were like somebody was whispering like the spice and i got it's like kind of like low grade lsd maybe (laughs) it's like it's it's like a hallucinogenic or something the book definitely spends a
2: lot more time on what specifically it is
1: and then is it like a space portal because you see a big big uh cylinder that Ships are going through, and yeah. they say
2: only because of the spice can we travel across space. So it, it's something of a, um, it is a psychoactive drug. Okay, for a specifically sensitive individuals like Paul, it does oh, allow so like the force. <laughs> it, it does allow for um, visions. Okay, right? Yeah, there are. Paul is a very unique person in the dune um sort of mythos the Duneverse. but he's not alone Uh, there are other people that are also uh very capable of um using the spice to have visions or to enhance their mental capabilities Uh many of these become navigators for the space guild uh so and this i totally understand why the movie didn't go into it but like but But we are right now but it's it's very difficult to understand the world of dune without understanding what happened before it Uh before dune takes place there was a um technological progression that's very similar to what (laughs) to what we have on earth right of of uh, a continuous investment in computing power eventually this produced thinking machines artificial intelligence that was much more capable than humans and eventually went to war with them Mm -hmm. humans barely survive this centuries long conflict and make creating thinking machines extremely illegal um and so instead humans invest in creating more and more specific individuals so there are no machines that are capable of thinking hard enough to um to sort of like divest the best path for these star cruisers to travel at faster than light speeds through the universe so they have people do it but people can't do it without things like the spice right and they quickly become physically dependent on it which is why it's so valuable in this world um Again, getting into some of the silly philosophical ideas that w- get stirred into Dune a little bit. Um, Frank Herbert was a pretty devout follower of like Joseph Campbell's theories about storytelling okay. with the hero's journey. That's, that's, of that's, he, that's very present in the story. He does depart from it a little bit. He was also an, a, a uh, very um, serious follower of Jungian psychology. Uh, and so there are some very silly ideas about gender in his book that are... Um, frankly just incompatible with some pretty obvious facts like i i don't r- recall specifically if guild navigators are said to only be men but the benny jessert are definitely only ever women mm-hmm. and their powers definitely come dangerously close to just like feminine wiles which yeah. <laughs> is a little uncomfortable at times and and definitely pulled me out of the book um so there's a few things like that that are uh, it's definitely a book that indulges a great deal in aesthetic morality um, of just like that things are bad because they look bad. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so while, while Like the,
1: the Harkonnen king.
2: Yes, while, while the Baron Harkonnen is definitely a character who does a lot of bad things, that's not what Frank Herbert leads with. He definitely <laughs> leads with, this guy looks gross. <laughs> <laughs> and he's fat. <laughs> well, <laughs> and, and the book goes much more grotesque than yeah, the movie. Yeah. I very much appreciated that Villeneuve understated this he's very cartoonish in the books in a lot of ways his name is vladimir for god's sakes <laughs> in 1960s america frank herbert kind of just looked around at everything that he thought his audience would not like and just threw it at a wall and, <laughs> and called it the baron harkonnen oh my gosh. Um, so yeah there's it's a,
1: it's a good thing we pointed out this 1965 novel is being adapted right now in 2021. Well, but at the same time, I
2: I don't want to write a, like a forgiveness check for Frank Herbert. He was definitely writing at the same time as contemporaries Mm -hmm. whose work does not need to be interpreted quite as critically. Um, So there's definitely some aspect of this where like, I do say that it's a very good book to read when you're early in high school. I think it's also a very good book to read early in high school, keeping in mind that it's not necessarily written by somebody to whom all fundamental truth has been revealed, yeah. <laughs> just like any other book. Yeah. Um, and so I, I I have had friends who have read this book that because I've recommended it to them that weren't as into the world building, weren't as into the complicated political plot. And because they didn't enjoy the good things about the book as much, they didn't like it. And I mm. think that's a fair opinion to have. And it makes sense to me why Villeneuve is kind of cutting a lot of that out of his movie. Um, I think it's frankly just a good choice. Great, <laughs> so that's awesome.
0: Yeah, we were talking with some people. Uh, I think coming out of uh, out of the movie that Isaac and I, we, we were at the theater together, and. Um, we were speaking to like the influence of Dune and we've talked a little bit on, you know, like star Wars, we see a lot of parallels, but um, something that, you know, Dune did a lot of and what you've talked about Vienna is it, and it's less about the technology or necessarily, it's also about the specific like functions of different uh, pieces of like the future of technology. And that's what science fiction is. And we were talking about that uh, before we got on the mic here, but um, Dune focuses a lot on how humans are interacting in the future and how we progress as a as a human race. And I think that that is what in a lot of ways the movie even though it did cut a lot of things I think that it keeps that intact by focusing on the characters and like you said he does a good job of in just he'll take a lot of things and put it into like one scene that helps us get what's up with the character. And you talked about that with the Reverend Mother Isaac. But like we see that with Duke Leto when he's with Jessica, like we get a lot of insight into his character or maybe his scene with Paul that he has. And he talks about taking, you know, leadership of their house. And we, we see that with all these characters in their scenes where we get a lot of insight into their character. Um, and how they act and interact with others so i think in a lot of way the most vital sense even if it is maybe exaggerated and more emotive um like you're talking about vienna I, I think it it suits what dune was trying to push the trend towards in its influence of science fiction as a
2: whole i would readily agree with that which, which is part of why i appreciate this movie so much mm. is that it's definitely put a lot more weight on the characters as people um I think definitely for readers of the book, the one that will be the most glaring is probably Thufir Hawat, the Mm, mm -hmm, mm Mentat. In the book, he is one of the most humorless people you would ever meet Hmm. Um, because Mentats are people who are trained to have enormous computing capability uh, just in general in their minds. That's the role that you see him in a little bit in this movie. The eyes roll back. Yes, where he's calculating things for the Duke Leto. He's trying to catch spies, that sort of thing. Um, But he's definitely, and I, I... I don't have the actor's name written down, but he does a great job of this, of of playing this character in a way that I think is believable. But he is kind of funny in the movie. Yeah. and uh, And I think they are trying to avoid the sort of like, um, Vulcan comparison. Mm. Okay. Though I will throw out there once again, the original series of Star Trek did not air until a full <laughs> year after this book was <laughs> released. <Roddenberry? laughs> um, Been
1: reading some Frank Herbert.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I will say, I think Star Trek is influenced much less directly by Dune. Mm. I think they're probably pulling from the same source material rather than George Lucas's clear influence by this uh-huh. book. Um, but but it's definitely something that I think Villeneuve is constantly aware of is that there are other properties that inherited a lot of things from dune that have gone on to be much bigger in visual mediums and they will inevitably this this movie will inevitably be compared to them as though it comes after even though the yep. story doesn't Yep, a lot so, of people will
1: be like "Well, this is just like star wars <laughs> the ships look like sand crawlers yeah, yeah.
2: So, so i think i think both of the mentots that we meet uh in the movie they don't ever say the word mentot but they're mm-hmm. the people who are denoted by the tattoo on their lip yeah um uh, both of them are, frankly, very emotional people. We see in in the <laughs> lovely scene with the Sardaukar on uh, on Celesta Segundus, um, with the bloodletting scene, uh, which I think sells the brutality of these soldiers yeah. in a mm-hmm. way that the book takes a very long time to establish how important they are to the Imperium, which is how they get you to believe that they are so. Um, Militarily competent, but in the movie they just show some somebody throat singing and everybody getting covered in blood. And you know <laughs> like, it, oh, it we don't the mess around thing. with these guys. <laughs> the same thing. Um, yeah, and, this uh, movie is so efficient and economical. Oh my goodness, yes, it's crazy. But you see the mentot get nervous, which is not a thing that would mm. happen to a mentot in the mm. book, mm-hmm. uh and so. But but I felt like it really sold the character a bit better, and uh, and I I. Almost cared when he dies. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, we spoke a little bit too about how
0: we think ultimately The it sounds like we're both in favor of the pacing of this movie and what it chose to cut. Isaac, as someone who didn't read the book, how did the pacing feel to you? Did it feel too fast or did it feel like it was still at a good pace that... That it was acceptable to, to be a viewer. Because both of us are coming from a place where we're like, oh, they cut these things, they're doing a really good job you guys condensing are like, as much Whoa, as they can. It's clipping yeah. at a quick yeah. pace. This is crazy. This, this
2: two-hour and 45-minute movie flew <laughs> <laughs> exactly this so coaster. Yeah.
0: So how did you feel as someone who wasn't familiar with the source material?
1: Uh well, some context for me, I was so excited for this movie because I knew it could be another science fiction epic that. Everybody has so much respect for the book, even though it's flawed. And so, and I love the director. So I came in just with the most goodwill towards a movie I've had in so long. And I grew up with movies like Lord of the Rings. And so long movies don't really bother me if they have engaging characters. And I think that's what I was most worried about. I was like, I hope I care about the characters. And I loved, I, the characters so much, but I also didn't realize I was going to like the world so much. I was like, okay, what is, what is, uh, you know, going on with the Atreides and, and, and now they are going over to Arrakis and, um, all these things that like I cared about further than the characters. I cared about, well, like Sand worms, how do they go so fast? And like you know, like the spice, like, why do you need a big sand crawler looking thing? You know, why can't you you know, I wanted to know more details and I think that's because uh, Denis sold me with the care I wanted to know more about the worlds because Denis sold me with the characters. Um, which was awesome. And I, I I felt like I really loved the exterior and interior of the world. And uh, it felt just like a world I can dive into. And I actually really liked the pace. I, the only thing that I knew, I knew going in it was going to feel like half a movie in a way because it's half a book. Mm-hmm. And that's the only thing where I was like stealing myself. I was preparing myself for the ending. And it was less um, anticlimactic than I thought, only because it holds so much promise for the next one. I feel like this one is like priming you, building context, and like really setting up the world for you to care about it. And I feel like the sucker punch will be in the second one where the Fremen will be up in the forefront. Paul will not just pr- be preparing for things. He'll be d- such an active protagonist and doing things. And so I love it. I went and I watched Hodorowski's Dune, which is a documentary about... Um, Hodorowsky, he is a director, one of the most like avant-garde directors. And he was going to, and that's putting it lightly, like weird, weird movies. <laughs> like seriously. And so there's this documentary about how he was tasked to make the movie Dune in the 70s. And he was pretty much given free reign, too much free reign. And he got people on board to do the movie like Mick Jagger and uh, um, Salvador Ali wait who's the guy who makes floppy clocks that guy Salvador Dali Dali yes i, I thought i said Ali my bad um but like he was going to play a character um and he wanted Haldorowski wanted his son to play Paul and he had him like learn a bunch of martial arts and he had he had um, Orson Welles Playing, um, what? yeah,
0: what, yeah, yeah, what, what, yeah, seriously, <laughs> seriously,
1: he had Orson Welles playing Baron Hark- Harkonnen. And, and the way he got him to play it was by saying, hey, I know you love this restaurant, like this Italian restaurant where you get to drink as much wine as you want. Well, I'll have the chef come and cater you food every day. <laughs> so he went he went massively over budget. And the Hollywood people, he was like, I want to make this like four, five, nine hours, 12 hours long. And the Hollywood people were like, no, we, we can't do that. And there's a bunch of people getting interviewed saying like, um what if this had come out before Star Wars, you know, and stuff like that. And it's an amazing documentary. You got to watch it. But all that to say, I am here for Dune. I'm going to read the book <laughs> after I'm done with the the way of Kings. And, um, I want to everything to do with Dune because I feel like it's a new, similar, only in the fact to similar to Lord of the Rings, only because it's just a, a huge world that you can explore I don't want to draw too many comparisons to Lord of the Rings because I I feel like they're very different things. But I just love that there's like 32, you said? I didn't even know that. 32 different houses or people? Yeah, that
2: was definitely something I was a little bit puzzled they didn't mention in the movie. Mm. Um, I I know it's one more line in a movie that is truly trying to do (laughs) as much as it possibly can with every single second of spoken word. But it, it does put the... It puts the whole thing into perspective a lot. In In the book, it is very believable that no one would really care if the Atreides disappeared. Like, it would be notable, mm. no mistake, and people would look into it, but it wouldn't be unheard of. Mm. And in the movie, I definitely have heard from other people who hadn't read the book and just went in to see it, that they thought it was the empire, this sort of nebulous other authority that you don't see as much, yeah. and the Atreides and the Harkonnens, and that's it. <laughs> Yeah, same. I thought it was like four... Yeah, or some very small number, yeah. like Game of Thrones style or yeah. something. Um, <laughs> Which Game of Thrones has a lot of people, so it's funny. <laughs> although that you you like them.
1: major well, sure. players, you oh, think there's like the yeah, the Starks, and the Targaryens. Yeah, I definitely had that mentality where I was like, "There's the Fremen, there's the Atreides, there's Har- Harkonnen, Harkonnen's. I don't know how to no. say. It. I'm going to be then honest, I don't Empire. think anybody really knows. Yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> okay. <laughs> we know how to say Paul, though. that's we know how to say Paul. So funny that
1: his name's Paul and there's Duncan. Idaho. <laughs> i'm, like, I'm about
2: i'm about 80 percent sure that paul is meant to be a biblical reference because oh, he's something of a missionary huh. uh, uh, oh. does he write letters <laughs> <laughs> i'm sure he does uh, <laughs> it's fun to imagine yes. um, but uh but definitely i think duncan idaho is in the book and has that name with the intention of implying that Uh, and there's a few other things that are in the book that are like this as well, that once upon a time in this world, our earth did exist. Yes, I'd Mm -hmm. love that. But it's so long ago that none of the words have retained their meaning. Mm -hmm. Like uh, at at one point you see uh, Gurney Hallock paging through a book when they're (laughs) about to step off onto Arrakis for the first time. Uh, And I don't know if it's meant to be this way, but on the the trip over, Paul is reading a... um, what's it called It's a like um summarized Chinese Christian Bible or something like that and it's clearly meant to imply that there are some languages that have survived, changed albeit but survived uh-huh. and then there's this book that is that has the name Bible but all the descriptions of it are completely different so it, it's definitely meant to imply that some of these myths and I think this is also um, Frank Herbert trying to make sure that the concept of the collective unconscious doesn't vanish from his work, because a lot of what the Bene Gesserit do is manipulating it, mm-hmm. uh, that that a lot of the metaphors and stories that are important to us in our world by the prevalence of the Abrahamic religions and that sort of thing still hold some power, this far-flung future in which Paul lives. So the idea of like Messiahs and Lisan al-Gaib and that sort of thing is not without context. Mm. Um, but there's definitely a lot of things in the book that are meant to imply that, uh, our world existed, but nobody really mm-hmm. remembers it.
1: That was one of the most fascinating things for me. I was like, oh, this is similar to Star Trek that it's in our world technically, but it's in the far flung future, even more than Star Trek. And I got that through talking to people afterward, but I got an inkling of that through, like the bull imagery in the movie.
2: Yeah, and the fact that Dr. Yue just simply speaks Mandarin is is also something of an implication that yeah. there's that some of these ideas, these things that are present in our world still hold power. That's so cool.
1: I think Frank Herbert is such a creative mind. With so many of these
2: ideas. The world building is is pretty much second to none. I think Dune definitely so cool. is kind of a master class in that. And and in that sense, I kind of understand why you, you're drawn to comparisons with Lord of the Rings. Because I think those are both properties that lean very heavily on their world. Yeah. And have characters that are good, but kind of like tangentially. Yeah. <laughs> um, not its
1: main course. Yeah.
2: And so... Um, and just speaking of great characters that really sell this movie, uh, I think probably the best book to screen adaptation of a character in this movie is probably Dr. Liet Kynes. Mm. Uh, now, of Wait, course. really? I, I would say so. I heard so.
1: somebody online say that
2: they were not happy with Well, those. that doesn't entirely surprise me. They did change Dr. Liet Kynes' gender in this movie, okay. uh, which I think was a great choice. It's There's some characters for whom it's important, like the Duke. Leto Atreides would probably be a little different if they just switched his gender on us Wait, all of a is sudden. is
1: Dr. Lee at Kynes the woman who's about to like, she has those hooks out? Yes, she is the oh, imperial okay.
2: the movie calls her an imperial ecologist. Okay. The book calls him an imperial planetologist. Uh, I'm gonna switch pronouns based on which yeah. Yeah. which one I'm referring yeah. to uh, because that's how they are depicted in the okay. various forms of I art. I thought
1: you were talking about the doctor who like checks on Paul.
2: No, that is Doctor Yue. Okay, uh, yeah. They both have uh, doctorate degrees, yeah. but <laughs> very <laughs> different, in different things. Um, but uh, but I would say the closest thing that Dune the book has to a cognizant moral voice is Dr. Liet Kynes. I would agree. Uh, Early on in the book, he's definitely the one that you see kind of playing both sides and being like, it is wrong of you to be here and harvesting this spice in ways that damage this planet for the people that live here. That is not an opinion you ever see from an Atreides until Paul goes to the Fremen, and even then, he's kind of wishy-washy about it. Um, And I don't think this book or this movie can really escape that it's a white savior narrative. But definitely, I think the book undercuts it a little more and makes it clear that Paul is not a good influence on these people, but also that Paul can't really avoid the things that that Liet Kynes has already done. says um, it has, has told the people of this world that this world can be made new, can be made into a paradise, and he's telling the truth. Uh, You see that uh, her little garden in the movie is definitely a reference to this, that there is water on Arrakis. And Mm -hmm. if it's used properly, this place would be fine. Um, And so there's definitely,
1: is it correct in saying that people tried to make the planet worse because then the spice
2: would be in the sand? I don't know if it was necessarily an active process. We don't know much about the Harkonnen uh, rule uh, in the book or in the movie, but I wouldn't, shoot past the possibility it's definitely, they definitely never gave it, it, up it, it, on trying to make it for uh, forested sure. paradise <laughs> for sure
1: well well am i wrong in saying that the spice isn't in the forest that's in the desert yeah, yeah. the You're spice right. is so it's in their best interest well, to. i'm keep... trying to be
2: careful of spoilers oh, yeah. for, i'm forgetting what's in the movie You're and what it is it um, <laughs> oh, well it's in the desert yeah. yes it's, in the desert. <laughs> it's yes. found in the desert cool yeah uh but, i think
0: a performance that is is really good you spoke to the adaptation for for kinds um and that was great to ha- to have another female character in and uh, like you said i
2: think that's a, it's an appropriate character that you can get away with that gender switch and i think i would speak for the majority of dune readers by saying that he's definitely my favorite character in the book mm. and uh and i felt like she was my favorite character in the movie uh-huh. um definitely doesn't get as much like playtime in the movie as he gets in the book but it's but that's i think just the limits of the medium um definitely a a shock i'll say when uh when that story is thread is abruptly cut short i uh i really
0: thought that Rebecca Ferguson playing oh, my Lady weird. Jessica Seriously. was a highlight performance. Oh my goodness, for me. yes. So I, good. I, I can't was... believe I haven't mentioned yeah. that yeah. yet. <laughs> I, I realized that too. I was like, we're talking yeah. about characters. I'm like, oh my gosh. I,
1: I think all of us were like, when are we going to talk about <laughs> yeah. Rebecca
0: Ferguson? Like, I, So, her, Jessica, her character is, you know, she's one of the Be- Bene Gesserit, but also she has. Uh, you know, this a little bit of a defiant streak for personal interest despite her conditioning and the order that she was brought up and, and there's a certain subtlety about her and that I think Rebecca Ferguson as an actress brings so well to the table and you see hints of emotions on her face and you get what she's going at but it's not overdrawn it's one of the characters that they don't just tell you what they're thinking but yet you know exactly what she's thinking and how she's feeling and that's i think a a credit to her performance i
2: think the first moment in watching this movie when i realized just how great it was going to be was the scene where she is outside the room while paul is being tested that scene is not in the book not even a little. Uh, from her vantage from, from her, her view, vantage point yeah. certainly not at all mm-hmm. we don't really even get we get the implication in the book that it, it's like part of her decision like like she very much approves of it um obviously that's not the interpretation that we are presented in the movie and i think it's far more realistic i, I think she 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 brought him to her though right yes but she's uh, so under sad duress. about it okay yeah interesting it, it it would be an extremely foolish decision to refuse the reverend mother anything while she is in their house
1: (laughs) Um, so she didn't ask for it necessarily in the movie okay I that was a little muddled for me. I was I knew she was conflicted, very conflicted, but I didn't know exactly like why or how.
2: And I think that was the first moment where I realized that Villeneuve was bringing a new perspective to the story that it really really needed. Mm. Where it was like I had I had read that scene in the book, but I had never really thought about, well, yeah, at some point Lady Jessica steps out of the room and does not know if she will go back in to see her son alive or not. That's not a lighthearted scene. <laughs> no. it, it's tense in the book, sure, but you kind of get the narrative weight behind it. Like, Paul's not going to die. Come uh-huh. on. But, <laughs> come on. <laughs> Well, with the all lady, the characters going up, we're, we're, we're thirty pages <laughs> in, <laughs> and but, Lady
1: Jessica doesn't have that perspective.
2: Of course not. Yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. And and Paul doesn't at that point either, but he attains it part way through this movie and part way through the book. And I think that's definitely sort of a fascinating aspect mm-hmm. of his character that he is aware that he is aware how trapped by fate he is. Yeah. And I would say all the characters in this story are. I think a, a major theme of Dune as a story is the extent to which people are trapped by the things that have come before them. Uh, but Paul is aware of it in a way that the other characters are not. I think that that's, yeah, that, that played so
0: well into his
2: arc. And Isaac,
0: you, you talked about the, you know, the climactic versus maybe anticlimactic ending partway through this, you know, what is this full story? And I think that that ultimately was shaped really well to make it an ending that worked is you see, Paul's realization of what you were saying, Vianno, of seeing him come and start to realize the all the the pulls of fate, uh, like and that they're all pretty much just pawns in this grand scheme and. You see him in this battle with uh, Jarvis. Is that uh, Javis? What's the name of the, that fremen? The fremen he fights. I think it's
2: I think it's Jamis.
0: Javis Jamis. Yeah, Jamis. His
2: his his role in the movie is very small. <laughs> his, his role in the movie is very small. His role in the book is even shorter. Yeah. Uh, he, he just kind of shows up and gets murked. Yeah. Um, <laughs> like and and that was definitely a line from the book that is pulled directly into the movie that I thought was a very good choice of um. Because it does so much world building of the moment that Stilgar leans over to Lady Jessica when Paul yes, asks him yes. to yield. And he says, why is he toying yeah, with him? Yeah, like, I said the same thing. Ah, the, <laughs> the only reason in Stilgar's understanding of the world that you would ask an opponent to give up rather than just kill him is an immense amount of disrespect. Mm-hmm. Of course, Paul uh-huh. doesn't see it that way. Jessica doesn't see it that way. But to, but that, that moment really sells to you what what life is like for a Fremen warrior. Um, yeah, that that scene really stuck with me. Also, uh, the dialogue in the moment between, and this is something that books can do that movies often cannot, or I suppose they can, but it, it tends to work very differently. Um, books can stretch out narrative space and time really, really well. The moment between Stilgar's spit hitting the table and everybody actually putting their swords away is like three paragraphs in the book in the movie it's a few seconds but it's still that scene is almost word for word of of the like of when Stilgar's response to all of this like pageantry and ceremony around him is to spit at the duke (laughs) (laughs) and and of course everybody freaks out and then duncan idaho has to break in and be like we thank you for the gift of water from your body yeah (laughs) in the spirit it was given and everybody's like what hellhole have we found ourselves on (laughs) that that not only is this world obsessed with water we anticipated that it's obsessed with moisture (laughs) which is a subtle difference
0: but an important important one so yeah you see paul's arc in that fight and he does he kills someone for the first time and jessica you know says he hasn't killed somebody but yet he makes that choice and ultimately like he you can tell he doesn't necessarily look for that and jump right into that but also you see i think an important note for his character is a statement that he is then willing to kill him and do what it takes and isaac you said how you're looking forward to the future and you anticipate you know Now we're getting the Fremen and, you know, he's going to go with them. And I think that that's where this was a really effective transitional point for this movie to end is it is going to be a shift in world perspective now. And the Fremen are much more a significant part of the second movie that we're going to see. And I think that shift of perspective as Paul starts to shift his mindset and adapt to this world that he is in makes for a really effective, I think, climax and promise of what's to come. Fantastic.
1: And we've heard Denis Villeneuve say, like, I want to
2: make the trilogy, like, with the Messiah book. That's the second book in the Dune series. Yes, I think it lends some very worthwhile context to the story in general. I'd be a little surprised if they managed to make a movie of it. Um, but at the same time, I think it's definitely Frank Herbert's way of undercutting a lot of the response to dune that he saw that because the book is subtly written from a very atreides perspective uh while the book is not written in first person it is relatively written in third person limited to paul's mind and you tend to see things from his perspective so he seems very heroic uh dune messiah i mean again avoiding spoilers but it definitely paints him as a much less benevolent leader and you kind of get a sense a bit more just the extent to which he is willing to buy into mm-hmm. the myths that surround him in order to gain and retain his power. That's something I think that the, the
0: vision scene when he's in the tent with Jessica... And you can tell that the vision of these potential futures, where he becomes this leader, and there's this holy war, you can tell yeah. that he's he's
2: frightened by that as a yes. character. I, I, and I, I will yeah. say, sorry, when when talking about Timothy Chalamet's lethal performance, that is the scene that I am talking about, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, and I, I
0: will say the shot of him and Shawnee standing, and like they've got other people around them, but they are standing there, and they both got the blue eyes. That is a scary shot when yes. and you grasp like the terror of what Paul might be capable of if he leans into some of these natures. And that, that I think was such an effective scene at
2: just going like, oh boy. <laughs> like, there are some big things that might happen here. I, I was joking with a friend of mine after watching the movie that, like, of course his response to this is justifiably terror, yeah. but <laughs> I, I thought it would be kind of funny to just be like, dude, you marry Zendaya! Yeah. <laughs> like, I was like, but I start Score. a holy war that kills Bill. You marry Zendaya! <laughs> Oh, yeah. that's
0: a win
1: there was uh, one reviewer who was like yeah paul's very uh, relatable to me i also dream of zinde <laughs> <laughs>
2: oh dear i i it it does chafe at me a little bit that chani's role in this this first part of the story is so small mm-hmm. and i'm very excited to see more her yes. character is is definitely very complicated in the book i think I, i'm very excited to see How Villeneuve and the screenwriters and this whole team bring that to light, but definitely just the little teaser that we got at the end was was definitely enough. I think this is, I think Zendaya is a fantastic choice for this role, and I think it's going to be uh, a very good sequel two years from now yeah. i know
0: oh my gosh just just enough time for isaac able... to read the book yeah exactly, yeah, exactly. i'll rewatch the movie oh, a my lot goodness. and read the book a lot well, it'll, it'll give you yeah. time to do i think the classic dune progression of like yeah i'm gonna read it and then you get 10 pages and you're like eh. and, then, and then you drop it about halfway and then you oh, pick dear. it up a few months later and then you finally finish it and you're like okay
2: cool i yeah, did it I, I do think it took me about like Four or five months to read the book the first time, and I, I read a lot of other things yeah. in the middle. Yeah. Oh my gosh! But good, yippee, <laughs> yippee, woo! I, that that's not a caution, I suppose. I, I still, I still really hope that you read it. I, oh, I'm I think definitely you'll enjoy it. it. But I just might view it more as like a history
1: book thing. <laughs> I don't know, that sort of thing. But one I'm excited to read. You know, yeah. it's it's like when you're a fan of Harry Potter and you go read the. I don't know the Cursed tales Child of the beetle
2: or bard yeah. or like a... <laughs> okay. yeah. your metaphor died halfway through, but uh, <laughs> we
0: definitely
1: something. But along we all that pick lines. up on the energy. We know, <laughs> or yeah. like for example, I grew up with this thick book on the shelf of the Tolkien dictionary for Lord of the Rings, and you could look up like Samwise Gamgee and like. How many kids did he have? Like and children. children. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or like, what is an orc? Or things much much more obscure than that. Yeah. And I would just sit and read that. So that's kind <laughs> of maybe the approach I'm taking with Dune: low expectations with the book, but high expectations for its concepts. So, anything you guys would want to say before we wrap it up? Gosh,
2: there is so much to say
1: so about yeah. this movie. So much. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll have you back for Dune Part 2. Yeah. All right. Oh,
2: two so, years from now. Yes. Right. So I'll see you in 2023. And it
0: sounds, I mean, it's nice. It sounds like we're all in consensus that we all regard this movie very favorably. Yes. And we definitely. are pleased with yes. how it happened, and we are all amped for Part totally. 2. That's, and that's a great thing. <laughs> that's that's
2: definitely my take. I would say I think it is very clear that Villeneuve made this movie for people who had read the book. Mm-hmm. It's definitely a movie that is fun and good to watch for people who haven't. I I would not say that there's anybody who like should avoid this movie for any reason besides not being into the premise or anything like that. Mm-hmm. But but if you if you can read the book and then watch the movie please read the book with a critical <laughs> eye <laughs> but in general i think this is this is a an excellent story that i think will will help you understand both other sci-fi and Perhaps more than that. Yeah. So, well, Vienna,
0: you brought some great context for, I mean, both Isaac, who hasn't read the book, for me, who has read the book. Both of us yes. <laughs> learn things. You're so. the expert in the room. By <laughs> we thank you very much. we really yes. are glad that, that you you came on. For anybody listening, if you have something you're passionate about and uh, want to come on the pod to talk about it, uh, just shoot us a message through <laughs> our Instagram or if you know us personally, we, we love having guests.
1: Yes, and check out Hodorowski's Dune, a yeah. fantastic documentary. You should watch it. It's amazing. <laughs> <laughs>
0: so yes. Alright, well we'll see you in two years, everybody. <laughs> yeah. Take Thanks. a good nap. <laughs>
1: Thanks, Thanks for listening, that, yeah. everybody. <laughs> <laughs>